Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, those of you in cyberspace who are or will ultimately listen to my show tonight. This is Dr. Simon. My show is called The Stories We Live By. And last night, I did a show that I listened to today that really pleased me. Uh, it went exactly as I wanted it to on uh, educational stories, which I titled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I really didn't, uh, in the course of the hour that I stayed on the air, complete uh, the fuller uh, contextualization, the fuller development of my ideas on that show, as happy as I was with it. <clears throat> and I wanted to add a second show, um, you know, uh, Son of Stories, uh, we live by on education, and uh, finish up some of the topics that I think are important to understanding uh, education and uh, what I think it should be and how, uh, as improbable as it might be, uh, it might come to pass. Um, first, let me say that when I spoke last night, I talked about an educational system in which the end product of the system was an individual who understood himself and the world better than when they started their education and could find a place for themselves in the world in which their unique abilities, uh, their talents, could be uh, fully, most fully developed so that they live a life uh, of uh, creativity uh, and joy, um, that their work would not be simply drudgery, but it would be something that would benefit themselves and benefit the people in the world around them, that they would be uh, creative citizens, because I do believe that to live outside of your society to have nothing to do with your tribe, uh, to live without love, without responsibility to other people, is very lonely. And an education that wouldn't add or uh, help an individual achieve real connections to other people uh, in which their work uh, benefits others. Uh, and I'm talking about whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or I talked yesterday about the plumber who came to my house uh, that gave me three really good working toilets. They're still working today, uh, a week after he came, uh, and, and how much he enjoyed his work. This is a lucky individual. This is a happy individual. Uh, at the same time, I do believe that any educational system must help an individual become an individual, uh, capable of really creating what only they can create because every individual is unique in the world. Even identical twins are not exactly the same. Very often one is left-handed and one is right-handed. They're mirror images of one another and therefore their brains are organized differently and however they look the same and however they may do the same things together, they are not the same. They are still individuals and unique. I then talked about the kind of science 
based upon Piaget, developmental psychology, Vygotsky, and the zone of proximal development that I believe can best help us teach our children and become the kind of individuals I hoped I could become, failed in many ways to become that person, but uh, I'm closer now in my 75th year than I certainly was in my 35th year. This, this development is a, what I value. And one of the reasons I don't think it will be easy to create this kind of an educational system is that those individuals and groups based in business, in religion, in politics, in other parts of the world, do not value what I value. And therefore, the school system they will create will be one that will reflect what they value, which is often very different from what I value. The lady that I, whose letter I, wrote, I read yesterday, who left education, Sadly for me that she would leave and not uh, find a way to continue the good fight, to uh, uh, bend the rules when she closed her classroom door, to help children become a self that is both a good citizen and an individually creative being. Um, that that uh, th this is not going to easily come to pass. She left because she was found herself in a system <coughs> that was completely hostile to her vision of what good education should be. That she bases it in science has no real value for those who don't value the end product that she wishes to see come from education, even if the science that she talks about or I talk about is the best way to achieve that end product. An individual who is both loving, a good citizen, and creative, who can stand up to uh, authority when it is necessary to stand up to authority, is what we value. Science may help us achieve the goals we wish educationally, but they are not the goals that are shared by most of the people on this planet. Science can tell us how to solve problems. It's probably the best way we've ever discovered to solve problems. But it in no way establishes what we think is a virtue, a value, the morally right way to live. Morally, we believe in the right way to live based on our faith. And, of course, to believe that science is the way to achieve your goals is a faith. Because I think there are other ways to achieve your goals, people to achieve their goals, particularly if their goals are not those that grow out of the logic of a scientifically based education. Business, for example, in my view... <clears throat> Seeks individuals who will be loyal to the business, who will work hard, and who will find the ultimate reward in a lot of money. I've talked about this many times. 
I would not want to be poor. To be poor is to be helpless. It's to suffer in a thousand different awful ways. But I don't think I care to spend my life making money and that my only goal is to make money and collect things, more stuff, a lot of really great expensive toys, um, that my goal is different includes making a good living, which I have done up until this point, and I have the money to play golf tomorrow morning and spend 50 bucks on a round and to spend my time tonight after a good meal discussing the ideas that make me happy that ultimately I studied psychology and was a professor and became an educator. But for business, and many of those in business, the goal is money and only money. And I have known so many people in business. You define yourself in our business-oriented society as a success. For most people, not based upon your goodness, not based upon your creativity, but based upon the fatness of your wallet. And to me, that is a value gone awry. The whole movement towards let's make business, let's uh, uh, admire those people in our society who make the most amount of money, that somehow the billionaires are the most virtuous. Uh, we now have a billionaire who spends his time telling us how great he is and how wonderful he would be as a president for no other reason than he is economically successful. I'm glad he's economically successful. I'm glad that his talents fulfilled his singular ambition to be a very wealthy man. But the value that he expresses is not the value that I wish to live by or for my children to live by or my grandchildren or the students that I taught and the patients that I work with for almost 50 years. Religion very often seeks a different value. I have spoken many times uh, about uh, the religion uh, as it exists, not as uh, its uh, prophets promulgated it to be. Um, I think that if Jesus was listening to this broadcast, and if Moses was listening to this broadcast, they would not be particularly unhappy with it. But so much of religion is based on the notion that while God created the world, Ultimately, we should live in a state of obedience to authority. Authority is right and we are wrong if we oppose authority. That notion that the good citizen, the good student is the obedience student is so deeply rooted in all the things uh, that I, I uh, believe uh, are wrong as an educational goal, as a goal to create um, a group of human beings who can both be happy as individuals and happy as citizens, doing right for themselves and doing right for the society they live in. Um, so many of the teachers uh, in my life 
confused fear with respect. To respect the teacher was to fear the teacher, to be obedient to the rules of the teacher. Uh, and there were teachers that I feared, and there were teachers that I were respected, and then there were teachers I didn't fear, and there were teachers I didn't respect. And they often were mixed up with the same person. I had teachers that I both feared and respected. And then there were teachers that I feared but did not respect. I had contempt for them but could never say so because I was terrified of the retribution they would bring down on my head if I tried to oppose them. And then there were teachers that my favorites were ones I respected but didn't fear. And then there were the teachers I was bored by and really disliked the most. I didn't fear them and I didn't respect them. They were sort of like non-entities in my life. And uh, it was a, a difficulty to get through their courses or the year I might have had them in grade school. The God that supposedly created us was the ultimate creator. He created us in his image or her image or its image. Um, and ultimately then, if that is true, our ultimate goal should be to be creative. But most of religion operates on the concept of obedience. The good child is the obedient child. And I can go on with this. Different groups whose goals for education reflect the story and the values they believe in, which are not mine. I want to talk about uh, some of the offshoots of the, of the uh, uh, philosophies of business, religion, etc., that permeate the educational system that I believe are ultimately destructive. Let me talk about grades. And to do this, I want to, again, uh, go to my book, and uh, I used to talk about grades. There was no way I could not give grades. I have to find this. It's going to take me a second. There's no way I could not give grades. I would have been fired if I didn't give grades. But what would happen is that the grades became more important than any kind of learning. I want to find this. You'll give me a second. I expected to do this early, yes. And I used to talk about the difference between seeking a grade and a degree rather than seeking an education. And this was very important. I knew I could not change the system I was in. The grades were more important than what was learning. You were defined by your grades, not by your ethic to work hard, to work through a, a, serious, a significant educational problem, whether it was math or psychology or English. It was all based upon the judgment of the authority who was the teacher. When I came to Florida, I really would hope to find a job as a part-time teacher. I couldn't, but in the end, I was really glad 
because the thought of spending more years giving tests and grading students so that their fight was not to understand or learn, but to get the best grade, because it was like the money that the businessman seeks. An activity done for its own sake is play. It's joyful. An activity done for something external to the activity itself, like money or grades, makes the activity work. If you're lucky and your work and your play are in the same activity, that's fine. But for so many of the students that I had over the years, the grades were really what was important, not the learning. You have to give me the good grade. And as the years went by, grades became critically important if you were going to go from high school to college or college to graduate school and graduate school to a job. The grades and the best degree, what was mattered. Business people are constantly complaining that kids with A averages can't read or write because our grades over the years became increasingly inflated. Anything less than an A, I discovered in the last couple of years while I was an uh, a, a adjunct professor at St. John's University in New York, could prevent the student to go, from going to graduate school. The pressure to give an A was enormous. Grades became inflated. I had professors and teachers when I was a young man who said, you can get an A in my class if you can demonstrate you know what I know. But that was a time where an A was an exceptional grade. It really meant true excellence. A B was a good grade, a really good grade. Not anymore. The grades have become everything. And they have distorted the whole educational process and the meaning of the education. Now, I discussed this again, and I'm going to read something from my book, um, in which a student reacted to our discussion of the importance of grades. Not that I tell them it's not important. Oh, yes, it is important. But that when it becomes the only thing, there really is very little education. So a student wrote me this essay, which I put in my book with her permission. Student in me, she writes. I'm looking back, trying to define the student in me to find out who or what motivated, inspired, or controlled me. When I get a sentence like this from one of my students, I know she and I are doing something really right. I have to admit, to find the person behind the mandated function, school, is confusing. This is probably because from day one of our classes together, the idea of being a student has taken on new meaning to me. Don't get me wrong. I am no way near to thank you to the thank you stage. I haven't learned enough of that yet, but I clearly recognize the difference of being a student than a participant. In order to be truthful to you in telling my story, I guess it's only logical to start with my early memories. Good psychoanalytic insight. I can remember getting up each morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looking for my days forward to my days in nursery school. 
The whole idea of being with friends and interacting with adults that made my play time even more fun was very exciting. I was always interested and paid close attention. My mom never told me to be this way. I just was. Everyone and everything in this setting was extremely important to me. It gave me so much. My kindergarten and first grades were the same, fun-filled, pleasurable, and as delightful as a Sunday with that ever-so-important cherry on top. Keeping in mind that I'd like this paper to be honest, I feel almost obligated to say that school was actually what I needed to survive. It provided me so much I wasn't getting at home. I felt no need to go into the details, for enough will be said by saying that school literally provided me with the vegetables as part of a meal. Uh, that's so common, that schools can save the individual from a home life that might crush them. On the other hand, home may be the place that nurtures the lucky person has both a home and a school that interacts together and does the same nurturing. As I begin to tell you my story and my memories flash through my mind, I can pinpoint the specific thing that turned my love of learning through play into a competition with the trophy A grade. I was in the second grade, and this was the year I was introduced to the idea of a grading system. This was also the year that I learned to apply the rule labeled bad to particular classmates. Everything in this grade became about rules, labels, and grades. None of those weighed that much to me, and if they did, not enough to soften my love for school. However, hidden within this structure was something pivotal. My teacher had what some people may have described as a positive reinforcement system in replace. Whereas, if you behaved well and did your work each day, you would receive a star. This star was placed on a chart next to your name where everyone could see it. Your tenth star would be a golden one accompanied by a lollipop. After the introduction of this star, all I cared about was getting stars for everyone to see. My every question and action was preceded by the thought, would this jeopardize my star for the day? I suffered a lot over those stars in more ways than needed be. Not because my behavior, because Lord knows I was good, but because of my mother. I had what might may be described as a Harper Valley PTA type mom. And that was not a good thing to be. So to, I guess to some extent, I was not a good thing. Perhaps my reasoning for getting the stars I rightfully deserved is off. So I'll offer you a couple of other reasons. Other reasons. I wasn't as pretty as my classmates. I wasn't as smart as my classmates. And I did not have as much as my classmates. Take your pick. It doesn't matter. For the end result was the same. Thereafter, third grade and above, or at least until eighth, after the stars were gone, it was all about numbers. No one could deny me anything. I was my grade. Um, I go on to write how happy I am that she has this insight, that there is now a self, that while it seeks grades, it can also seek other things in relation to or in addition to the grade. That was good education. 
That's why I put this in my book, why I was proud of trying to teach as I was teaching during that time. You can't live in a world and ignore the fact that the grades are important, that the gold stars are important, that the money is important. But if that's all there is, you are what the Buddhists would refer to as a hungry ghost. There aren't enough stars, grades, or money to fill you up because I do believe evolution, which created us as individuals, requires us to have enough to eat, to feel basically safe in the world, to have a sense of pride, and ultimately to be creative in a world of people who care and love us, whom we care and love as well. So, the values that exist that define the school system are not the values uh, that I would see or have them value it's just not and i don't expect especially in a world as in which i listen to the politicians talk about what's important is uh training rather than genuine education that let's get rid of the philosophy let's get rid of all the majors that won't help somebody fit into a corporation somewhere uh, and make the most amount of money while helping that corporation become ever more powerful and rich. Um, uh, I don't believe that uh, I will. This lecture, this discussion, will fall on anything but really deaf ears. Some other aspects that um, I I'm concerned about today in education, and that is. Um, PC. Being correct. Uh, m- much of what is made uh, fun of and, and discussed and uh, devalued is the uh, is the correctness of the uh, left. And let me tell you that I don't believe that uh, the conservatives today are conservative. I think they're extremists. And that the people on the left are just as extreme as they're on the left. In fact, when we talk about the left and the right, most people have an image in their mind of a kind of a, uh, a bar. And on the left end is the left, and on the right end is the right. If you really think about it, and how these uh, 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 correct people, these people who are uh, philosophically correct, who are politically correct, operate. Take your thumb and your forefinger or your pinky and move them close to each other. Make a circle which they almost touch. The left has a different set of agendas than the right, but ultimately, it's the same agenda. It's to shut down free speech and stifle free thought. When uh, some of my conservative colleagues at the school used to say uh, correctly about how awful the political correctness was that had become uh, uh, increasingly popular on campuses, and I 
think I've been off campus now for a good 10 years. I think it may even be worse now, probably is worse now than it was then, if uh, what I see in the news is, is correctly uh, uh, demonstrated, is correctly, correctly reported. Um, and my response was, which political correctness are you talking about? The traditional conservative or the new liberal? Because you cannot stand up among a group of orthodox anybodies and disagree. Saying it is as bad as acting it on it, and you will be hammered. But what I discovered in my uh, working in the city university, which was a very liberal, left-leaning system always, was that the feminists uh, and those uh, who were uh, on, uh, on the left, left really left-leaning, were becoming uh, as vicious and as controlling and as hateful as the conservatives on the right for whom any breach of orthodoxy was, um, was a sin, was heresy. And by the way, if you were uh, disagreeing with orthodox religion, you were an apostate or a heretic. If you were uh, disagreeing politically, uh, you were a traitor. And if you were disagreeing in general, you were mentally ill. All basically the same kind of judgment or the same judgments with different language. Let me talk about some of the things I began to experience with, in my last years at uh, my school and in the city university that really upset me and was a, ch a, a change early on. Academic freedom in a university is one of the reasons for the university to exist, that there should be debate, that um, no idea that we have today, no facts, theories, ideas that we have today uh, ought to be universal and unchangeable. But what began to happen uh, is that uh, a kind of Orwellian uh, set of ideas and behaviors began to appear. For example, I once went to a conference uh, at Columbia University as part of a, a, a universe, uh, college outing on evolution and uh, the development of children from a biological and cultural point of view. And a young woman, actually she was not that young, but a professor at Columbia, presented research on the difference between boys and girls that appears in the earliest months of life. And that is, both boys and girls spend time looking and searching for human faces and looking out in space and reaching out and learning to point at things in space. What she found so interesting and presented really good data, scientific data to demonstrate this, is that in the earliest months, boys spend more time looking out into space and reaching, and girls spend more time looking at faces and socializing. Now, all of us make jokes about the difference between men and women, and most of the men I know 
including myself, are much less social than the women we know. Uh, my wife puts me to shame. But I like to spend more time hitting golf balls, and, and most men I know like to spend much more time watching sports and doing sports. The upper body of the male has evolved to throw things, originally probably rocks and spears. Today, if we're lucky, it's more socialized. They throw baseballs and footballs and hit golf balls, tennis balls. Now, while women increasingly in our culture happily engage in sports, they still tend to be more social in my experience. When I voiced this at a meeting after we came back to my college, it was as if I had committed the worst heresy that a person could commit. And I was told in no uncertain terms, all differences between boys and girls are social. And the only reason boys do better in school or in sports or in this or that, the only reason is because of social discrimination against girls. Now, is there social discrimination against women? Of course. Are boys given more opportunities, uh, rewarded for science and math than girls? Changing, but still of course. But that does not mean that there aren't innate evolutionarily created differences between the sexes that they're added to by society, in no way denies, for me, the scientific validity of saying little boys and little girls are born with a lot of overlap between them, but essential differences between them. This was heresy. Um, a woman who came visiting my college made the following statement. Any woman who is overweight was sexually abused as a child. When I asked her, and this was really scary, when I asked her, where is her evidence for this statement, this rather uh, remarkable statement, not that I was denying the possibility that some overweight woman had been sexually abused, but that all overweight people had been sexually abused. She looked at me and she said, for you to deny the truth of this statement makes you a rapist. And at that point, I really didn't know what to do. I was being accused of a heinous crime because I disagreed with what I felt was an unsupported, valid statement by her. Where is the evidence? Where are the facts? Didn't matter. During this same time, I didn't realize how deep this went. A colleague came to me from the history department, bereft, weeping. His daughter, who had been unhappy and depressed, went to therapy. And her therapist told her, even though she could not remember having been sexually abused by her father or another family member, it was clear to her that she had been. Uh, I don't know if you, all those of you who are old enough to remember the Martin, the school, a uh, nursery school, where psychologists came in and based upon uh, what children told them, pointing to anatomically correct dolls, 
that these children had all been sexually abused. The fact that, that ultimately the school was exonerated didn't change the fact that the school no longer existed when the experts in their politically correct idea that all girls are subject to sexual abuse uh, and children are normally and regularly sexually abused without any real evidence to back this up uh, destroyed the reputations of those people. My colleague, who was not a close friend, but somebody I admired and liked, said, my daughter has split my family. I don't know what to do. And I really had no advice. All I could do was hope that someday the daughter would work this out with her family, including him. And if she didn't remember in any way that he was anything but a good and loving father, she would change her opinion and realize that, I guess the bright world, is she was brainwashed at a time when she was vulnerable and working with somebody she respected and admired and believed had a truth into the insights of the, of the pain that she was living with. Um, we were at a staff meeting, a faculty meeting, and we were talking about how departments were competing for resources at a time when um, resources in the city university were very short and departments were kind of stealing from one another to see uh, what they could get to improve uh, the education in their department. And I said, I think it is really wrong and bad for departments to cannibalize one another. At which point, the lady, I won't give the name, I remember her face, uh, she was in the education department, said, you cannot use the word cannibalize. It is a wrong word to use. And when I asked her, she stared at me, don't use that word, she said. I assume it was a word that she thought was racist, because anything you said that was wrong, according to standards of, of what was racism, uh, I did remind the group of a joke that um, uh, uh, was used by uh, Williams. Uh, who was his name who committed? Uh, my mind is really going with names. Robin Williams, when he said during a monologue, Donna, party of five, your dinner is waiting that the Donna Party, which was trapped in the Rocky Mountains when they tried to cross it, uh, when they were going across the country as pioneers, and ended up being cannibals. It had nothing to do with race, but that didn't matter. Language, language was all that was important, according to the leftist PCs. This, to me, the political correctness of the right the political correctness of the left, left is the death of science and education as I know it. The fight now is to which political correctness will dominate the textbooks that are supposed to be the standard textbooks used all over the country to be measured by the standard tests to be used all over the country. This is a vile and dangerous, dangerous, dangerous uh, process. 
Okay, a little while longer, and I'm going to hang up, go have my dessert. How do we achieve a really good education? Well, I don't think I know how to create the politics that can achieve the kind of education that I've been advocating tonight and especially last night. There was an experiment, another experiment I did with my students, a kind of an intellectual game that I did because I wanted to see, were there any students in my room who were there simply because they loved learning? Not necessarily from me, but from anybody. Because in my school, there were many really wonderful teachers. In most schools, there are wonderful teachers mixed in with the teachers who should be doing something else with their lives. So I said, let's play a mind game. The Klingon invasion of Earth. For those of you who don't know this, the Klingons were the enemy of the Federation of Planets that Captain Kirk was always protecting from external enemies. And the Klingons were those enemies, a warrior race. They took over the earth, I said, and they issued a dictate about education. Okay? A large amount of the resources of the world will be put into education. It will be free for everyone. And in America... If you were in the right time in the right place, it was free. I was again. I'll say, uh, I have to pay it forward because I received a pretty good <clears throat> elementary school education, a pretty good high school education, a very good college education, and a graduate school education, including the PhD, for free, almost for free, a couple of hundred dollars total spread over eight years. So there would be plenty of money in education. Teachers will be well paid. There will be courses aplenty to cover the interests of everyone. And everyone could take as many courses as they want until they feel they have a direction. And then they will be supported in the training necessary to reach those goals that would satisfy them. Medical school. There would be exams, by the way, to get into medical school because you would have to have, at that point, real standards. But they would be given all the help they needed if they wanted to get into medical school and felt short of the standards that their most excellent professors and teachers believe were necessary to become a really good doctor. All of this would be wonderful. However, there was the following dictate. Teachers cannot give tests. Teachers cannot give grades. No institution can give a degree. And that was the rule. Otherwise, that institution would be shut down. And I asked my students, given General Dum, D-U-M, who is not really so dumb, and his dictates about education, how many of you would come to school under those circumstances? 
And I asked this of five classes of nearly 40 to 50 each. And I had about a dozen students covering the five classes who said, that would be great. The rest said, I would go elsewhere. And I realized that's where we are. It was the grades and the degrees, the idea you could learn everything you wanted for free prior to going out in the world and earning a living had no value whatsoever for 90% of my students. So how can we have the kind of educational system I've been advocating now for two nights? The Klingons have to come here and take over our planet, and General Dumb has to issue his directives. Otherwise, it won't happen. Otherwise, what those of us who teach or taught have to do is to work from the margins where really change always comes. That When we close our therapy doors, when we close our doors of the classroom, we try to meet the external demands of the society that we live in because that's where we do live and find a way to use techniques as I developed and wrote about in my book and, and practiced to add another dimension to the school system so that it's as individualized as possible that it is values real learning over grades, that it helps people find that area of life in which they will love their work and uh, be, have a real expertise uh, so that when they go to work to earn a living, they will also be playing in a way that brings them happiness and real joy. I think that's it. Uh, I certainly won't live to see what I would like to see. <clears throat> um, it won't happen. It won't happen. I believe deep down into my soul that a part of everybody's education should be the humanities and the liberal arts. That in addition to studying all the sciences to become a scientist or a doctor, you should read the great literature. Uh, when students who would ask me what should they uh, take to become a good psychologist, I would say read George Orwell's 1984, read Middlemarch, read uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, read the literature to get a sense of what language is and how ideas uh, can can illuminate and brighten your life. Then, in addition to, instead of, but in addition to, become the best technical uh, individual you can be in your particular area of expertise. So, time for dessert. Uh, I'm going to, uh, you know what I'll do? Maybe I'll put on... How do I do this now? Um, I'll upload audio. I wanted to be able to chat. Let me see if I open up a chat. If anybody is there wants to chat, 
and rather than call in. I'd be so happy if they called in at 646-716-7756, 646-716-7756, or emailed me at LarrySidock at gmail.com. Right, let me launch my chat. Let's see what happens. One, two, three, flash chat. Lead, loading UI component. UL component. I don't know what the hell any of this means. Connecting, connecting. Let's see what happens here. Okay, welcome to Stories We Live By chat room. Anybody there? Anybody want to write something? Anybody want to communicate with me? It makes me so happy to communicate with people. <clears throat> I live in a lovely development in which this kind of discussion just simply doesn't exist except for a person here and a person there. Uh, in a week or two or three, probably after the uh, Thanksgiving break, a friend of mine who is a real bona fide Harvard scientist who studied climate change uh, based upon the carbon dioxide in the air will be my guest. And we will have a good discussion about that. All right, there's nobody here. So what can we do? I'm just going to simply close this off. And let me promote my... Okay. And I'm going to say good night, good luck. May all of you who hear this love the learning in your life from this day forward, if you have not already discovered the real joy in becoming a new self through learning, experimentation, reading, writing, etc.